It's Tuesday, July 17th, and this is The Daily Dive. The reviews are in after President Trump's big meeting with Vladimir Putin, and the news is not good. When asked if he believed the assessment of the U.S. intelligence community, or Putin, over election meddling in 2016, President Trump deferred to Putin, gave him a huge pass, and once again attacked Hillary Clinton. Shannon Vavra, reporter for Axios, joins us to discuss all the fallout from Trump's latest denials. On the immigration front, a federal judge has temporarily halted the deportation of parents who have been reunited with their children. The ACLU has sued for the pause because parents need more time to make informed decisions about whether to leave their children behind in the U.S. Ted Hessen, immigration reporter for Politico, joins us to discuss the ruling and the next big deadline for reunification. Finally, there is an ongoing debate whether home smart locks are just a novelty or the future. Wouldn't you love to open your front door with your phone or a fingerprint? Joshua Frulinger, contributor to The Wall Street Journal, joins us for the pros and cons of smart locks. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. President Putin, uh, he just said it's not Russia. I will say this, I don't see any reason why it would be. I have great confidence in my intelligence people, but uh, I will tell you that President Putin was extremely strong and powerful in his denial today. Joining us now is Shannon Vavra, reporter for Axios. So yesterday was the huge meeting between President Trump and Vladimir Putin. They met one-on-one for over two hours, and then there was this press conference that happened afterwards where everything kind of went haywire. People that are part of the president's party, uh, some of his most ardent supporters, really didn't come away with many positive things to say about it. What happened during that press conference? The press conference between Putin and President Trump today was truly bizarre. To have the U.S. president stand next to Putin and be asked if he believes U.S. intelligence agencies or Putin when it comes to Russian meddling in the U.S. election, and to have the president come out and not denounce Russia, not say he supports intelligence agencies, is just a really bizarre thing to see, and it makes a lot lot of people, including lawmakers, question Trump's patriotism here. It's also putting him in direct crosshairs with his own advisors, including the director of national intelligence, Dan Coats, and his Homeland Security secretary. So it's really kind of left Washington, D.C. reeling from the press conference. This is a president who has a lot of bravado. He stands up. Of all people, he stands up mostly to our allies. I know he's focused on trade and there is a trade imbalance that we do have with some of our allies, but he, he'll call out some of America's top allies. And then this man, who is not an ally to the states, often very much seen as an enemy, everybody just kind of seemed to say that he wimped out. He didn't stand up to him at all. No, he he really didn't at this point. And especially coming after last week with the indictments coming down, where we've seen such sophisticated analysis of forensics, where we know at least 12 Russians were involved in actually hacking into the DNC, the DCCC, state election board. And on top of that, from other indictments from Mueller's team, that there's been social media campaigns launched. Like We know that Russia has tried meddling and meddled in our elections at this point. And when Trump says, all I can do is ask about it, a lot of people believe that it's the responsibility of the president to do more than ask that question at this point. Vladimir Putin was even asked by reporters if he preferred Trump to win the election, and he 
flat out said, yes, I did prefer Trump. You know, he said he wanted to normalize U.S.-Russia relationships. Even still, he said, yes, I supported this man. That's got to be a little bit rattling for people, especially in the Hillary Clinton camp, because we also know that that is what the intelligence community has assessed in the past. This distrust of our own intelligence communities, I think, was very shocking to a lot of people. It seems the president can't separate what's going on. Cyber attacks and election interference is different from the quote-unquote collusion that could be happening, what Robert Mueller is investigating on that front. I think he conflates everything. He thinks that cyber attacks equal collusion equals him being an illegitimate president. And I think that really troubles him. It does make a difference when it's the president of the United States who can't make that distinction in a public way, because every time we see him discussing the hack into DNC, he says, where's the FBI? Where's the server? How come it wasn't shared with the FBI? Well, information was shared with the FBI, right? And there was a process that the DNC went through. And that's like a classic line from Republicans to try and denigrate what the process happened after the hacking took place. What is on the server? What does the president think he's going to find out more so than Mueller and his team have already done with these indictments. I mean, they've already named all the Russian agents who were perpetrators of this stuff. Uh, what more is he expecting to find out from the servers? I'm not exactly sure. I can't speak for the president there in that case. You know, the what happened is so the DNC contracted out with a private firm to hand over that information. So the FBI, from where I sit, probably has all the information that they need. Uh, at this point. And we do, we have seen an incredible analysis of those forensics come out in the indictments at this point. And it's super rare for the FBI to gain access to victims' infrastructure because there's kind of this concern that they would mess with it. Yeah, they um, always go with the independent investigation route uh, a, a lot of times. What has mm-hmm. the reaction been? I, I've seen a lot of lawmakers speaking out. Have any of the intelligence agencies put out any statements? The director of national intelligence, Dan Coates, put out a statement that said, we stand by our assessment. We've been clear in those assessments that Russia has meddled in the election in 2016 and also their ongoing efforts to poke holes in our democracy. So that's definitely a statement that we're going to keep watching and see if, if that's something that President Trump will hit back on, because at this point he did stand up on a stage and didn't endorse entirely the intelligence community. There are GOP lawmakers and who are normally allies of President Trump when it comes to talking about election meddling and Russia, and they're coming out against him saying, you know, this isn't just Democrats saying that Russia meddled in our election. This is the assessment that we are trusting. The intelligence community has made it and also the House Committee on Intelligence at this point. There was another strange moment when Vladimir Putin said, hey, we'd love to get our guys in there with Mueller so we can interview these guys together. Right away, that's, you know, obviously something. (laughs) It's just so crazy sounding. Uh, Representative Pete King, who is a supporter of the president, even said that's like having ISIS come in to join a joint terrorism task force or something like that. You saw Senator Lindsey Graham raised questions about the soccer ball gift from Putin, about whether that's <laughs> yeah. his listening devices. And that's honestly, it's not really beyond the Russians at this point to do that. It's very sad to say and to even think about this, but people, uh, even the president, always talk about wins and winning and things like that. And really, the overall consensus seems to be that Vladimir Putin won this whole thing. I, I think the only positive thing that people have been saying is that, if anything, this might lead to more meetings and possibly more normalized relations. But are there any supporters of the president that have said something positive about this? There's few and far between. For example, former Secretary of State John Kerry said it's good to meet with adversaries. It's good to meet with Russia. He says he has had good meetings with Russia before, but it's not about 
conceding to them. And that's kind of where a lot of people and a lot of lawmakers who know about this diplomatic move here and how this went wrong are going to be saying moving forward. Yeah. I mean, when the president says, I don't see any reason why it would be Russia, President Putin was extremely strong in his denial. I mean, he's just taking his word for it. And yeah, it's a tough situation to see, but we'll see how right. the rest of this develops. I mean, I'm sure the fallout of this is going to be ongoing for the rest of the week. Shannon Vavra, reporter for Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. We are demanding that the government make this reunification happen immediately, make this reunification happen today. We are sick of waiting. Tomorrow's not soon enough. They think they're close to everything being done and that most likely we should be getting the children back soon. We have children who are 10 blocks away, who we keep speaking out to the press, who've done everything they've requested from us, plus dozens and dozens of calls. Joining us now is Ted Hessen, immigration reporter for Politico. So ever since the Trump administration had put in this zero tolerance policy on immigration, there's been a lot of confusion, a lot of anger, just a lot of miscommunication even. And it all centers around these children being separated from their families. Federal judge on Monday had just issued a temporary halt to deportations of parents and children who have been reunited. They're giving them an extra week before they deport them. And this all stems from a lawsuit that the ACLU has representing these parents. Why did the judge halt these deportations? This judge has already ordered um, thousands of families to be reunited who were separated at the border. The ACLU at the American Civil Liberties Union is representing the plaintiffs here in this case and had requested a week period before any parents were deported to give them the chance to decide if they wanted their children to come with them or remain in the U.S., and the judge's earlier order had said that parents should be able to make that determination. And I think that was what he had in mind uh, with this temporary pause. And what, what's happening right now is really a pause on deportations while the Justice Department and the Trump administration has a chance to respond and to make their case for why they should be able to deport people. And the ACLU was saying that there are persistent and increasing rumors that parents will be deported immediately after they're reunified with their children. That's where the argument comes from. It's like they need more time to decide what they want to do before getting kicked out, basically. There are people uh, who are in the country who may not have had a valid case to remain and in the eyes of uh, the U.S. government are deportable. And it's, it's not clear exactly how those cases were going forward, but the ACLU at least had heard rumors, as they mentioned in this court filing, that some parents could be quickly deported. And I think they were asking the judge here to uh, take emergency action, to uh, do this seven-day pause, uh, give parents the chance to remain in the U.S. Now, what the judge has, did yesterday was actually issue, again, I said, a temporary pause on deportations pending the outcome of this decision. If they're here illegally and they got caught and everything and they're being deported, don't the children automatically go with them? They can actually have them stay behind still? In some of these cases, children may have been placed with sponsors or may have the ability to be placed with sponsors, which could be another parent in the U.S. It could be another family member in the U.S. And in those cases, it, it appears there is the option for kids to go into a different placement if the parent elects that. Now, uh, what the ACLU is asking for is more time for a parent who's potentially going to be deported to make that decision and say, uh, should their uh, child come with them or is there a, a good place for them here? And the Trump administration is going to appeal this. I think they said that extra people staying could affect the process due to limited immigration detention space. And the judge was not really having any of that as well. 
They said on Monday that they opposed the idea of having some sort of delay on these deportations of parents. Now, where exactly they'll land on that will come to see. They have until July 23rd, which is next Monday, to issue a response to this judge's temporary pause on deportations. The next big deadline is going to be July 26th, where the government has to reunite some 2,500 kids with their parents. The administration also did something that they were going to expedite these reunifications. Can you tell us a little bit about that? U.S. District Court Judge Dana Sabral in San Diego had ordered the administration to reunite all separated children and parents by July 26. That deadline is coming up quickly. Last week, he came to the conclusion that they should be moving faster and should be streamlining processes to do this. First, it appeared that the administration wasn't doing that and that they were following some of their earlier guidelines for reuniting kids uh, with family members or sponsors in the U.S. And this judge really uh, came out and said, no, there really should be a quicker way to do it. The HHS has responded and come up, came up with a more streamlined plan to do things faster. Yeah, before they were fingerprinting, they were using DNA testing that could add days to the process. What are they doing now, though? From what I understand, they are in cases where they can verify parentage without DNA and more quickly do it that way. They're able to do that. And that could mean some kind of official document from a home country, such as a birth certificate that's been certified. In other cases, it's quicker to do DNA, and they've been doing it in those instances. But I think what the judge has said is that can't use that as cover. And it's not an excuse to say, hey, we've got all these DNA tests pending and we have all these other background checks to do that are pending. And that's why we can't complete the reunification process. The judge is really saying that these processes need to be streamlined, need to be done quickly and meet these the deadline he's put forward. Ted Hessen, immigration reporter for Politico. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. They allow you to enter your house, unlock your house using your smartphone. They allow you to enter it using a, a keypad. If you have one that's capable, you can even enter them using your thumbprint. And the great thing about it is because it's all digital, it means that you can grant access to other people. Joining us now is Joshua Frulinger, publisher at Thinknum Media and Wall Street Journal contributor. Is it smart to install a smart lock on your home? They have a lot of digital alternatives. You can use your phone to get in, keypads, fingerprints now. They all have their advantages, but there's a big debate on it. A lot of people say they aren't safe. They can be hackable. So what is the smart lock debate all about, Joshua? They are extremely convenient. They allow you to enter your house, unlock your house using your smartphone. They allow you to enter it using a, a keypad. If you have one that's capable, you can even enter them using your thumbprint. And the great thing about it is because it's all digital, it means that you can grant access to other people. So if you've got a repair person coming or if you've got a dog walker or if you've got a cat sitter like I do, they're incredibly convenient. There is some concern about their security. You are putting your front door essentially on the Internet, which sounds scary. As far as you know, the security of that goes, it's not really something to worry about too much, mainly because most smart locks, pretty much all anyone that you're going to buy that's out today is not directly on the internet. They're, they use what's called a mesh network, a secure mesh network. So it's not directly tied to the internet. So it's not like someone, you know, coming by and trying to, you know, hijack your internet connection and be able to hack into it. There is some concern, however, about their actual physical security. I spoke to this guy, Jay Sofer, who's the owner of Lockbusters. They're like New York City's biggest locksmith. He said that, you know, most of these smart locks are based on basic 
deadbolt technology, which is, you know, just a straight, you just twist a little thing and the deadbolt opens. The problem with most deadbolts is that they can be easily pried open. The fact is, is that most people who live in a major city, like New York City, or if you live in a really old home, your front door uses something called a mortise lock. You'll know it when you see it. It's the kind of lock where when you turn the lever, it also opens the deadbolt. It looks much more complex. There aren't many smart locks available for mortise locks. So if you do live in a major city in a condominium or something like that, like I do, and I found this out the hard way, I wanted to install one of these, and it turned out that most of the ones that are out on the market don't even work for me. You said that Jay Sofer from Lockbuster said the number one way people break into homes is using a crowbar or something like that. Even sometimes these smart locks don't use the best grade of metal. They're maybe more concerned a little with the uh, technology and the actual functionality of it versus the security and the uh, the metal, you know, using something really strong so it won't pry open. The funny thing is, is that, you know, a lot of the companies that are putting out the smart locks are putting the technology forward. And in some cases, they forgot to do the actual physical engineering, which is the whole purpose of the thing, which is, you know, meant to keep your home physically secure. It's a lock. It's meant to like keep the door closed from people getting in. So whether people are, are not able to get in by using a key code or a phone or something like that, if they can just use a crowbar and rip the thing open because it's not using the most highest grade of metals, then the entire point is kind of moot. I have a coworker who actually has a smart lock and he loves it because it has a little camera on there and he can always see when somebody's coming to the house or even knocking on the door. He knows someone's coming around already. What I didn't know is that even some insurance companies offer incentives to homeowners who install these? Just out of curiosity, I <laughs> I started calling some insurance companies, but I did talk to someone at Liberty Mutual, this guy called Glenn Greenberg. He's the director of public relations, and he was the one who was willing to talk to me. And I asked him if they do offer discounts for people who use smart locks. And he said that in a lot of cases, they in fact do, because they figure that someone who is investing in installing a new lock and using what he calls self-monitored theft protection devices, because they figure that at the very least with a smart lock, because you have a running log of anyone who's come and gone from your home, chances are you also, like you mentioned, have a smart camera that's attached to it that's going to record what happened upon entry. And that makes life a lot easier for insurance companies. Are smart locks just the novelty or are they the future? Because a lot of these run on batteries or electricity, you know, sometimes they might fail. A lot of people are still carrying their backup keys for an emergency, et cetera, et cetera. So is this thing a novelty or is a lot of are these going to be increasing in, in more homes? I think it's certainly the future. I mean, first of all, at the end of the day, a 64-bit encrypted code or app or communication device and that kind of thing is, as far as an entry point, is much more secure than just a simple key that can be copied or can be picked, you know, using old school lock picking techniques. I mean, you have to ask yourself this. When was the last time you stayed at a modern hotel that still hands you a regular key? Right. They're all doing it with essentially smart locks. They're handing you a key fob that allows you to get into the room, partially because it's a lot more convenient and that kind of thing, but also because it's more secure as far as they're concerned, because they're able to monitor who comes in, who leaves, and they're able to, to shut off your access once your reservation ends. And I think once you add all of those things into what it means for your home, I think you'll see within the next 10 years, it's going to be kind of just a standard thing. All right. Well, I want one. It's Amazon Prime Day, so I'm going to try to see if there's any deals going out there. You have a couple of suggestions for most affordable, versatile, something with the latest features, the best mortise lock even. So we'll link back to your article so people can check out a little bit more. Joshua Frulinger, publisher at Thinkna Media and Wall Street Journal contributor. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, guys.
All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. We love the feedback, so don't forget to leave us a comment and give us a rating. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive.